it is 11 a.m. in New York, 5 p.m. in Johannesburg, and 10 p.m. in Bangkok. Welcome to In Transit with Sunday Bean. I'm an intercultural strategist, transformation facilitator, and solution-oriented coach. And I am on a mission to help you adapt and succeed through any life transition. I've been saying this for about a year now, that we need old solutions to new problems. Yes, you heard that right. Our existing strategies are not working and we need to do things differently. And oftentimes the answer is not in inventing something new, but returning to something old, something tested, something that is deeply embedded in cultural wisdom. And our guest today is doing such innovative work where she takes on a massive topic, how to navigate as liberated beings within oppressive systems. Our guest today is Dr. Crystal Menzies, and she is a former educator in urban schools who drew on her personal experience, African diasporan history, and her Guyanese and African-American roots to found an organization called Emancipate Ed. Today, she develops research-based educational experiences that center Black communities. I've seen her flagship product. It is amazing. And she draws on the stories of maroon communities. Maybe you've never heard of them. Africans who freed themselves from slavery and created hidden societies to offer black and brown families a model for how to navigate as liberated beings within oppressive systems. What I've learned about Dr. Menzies is she is an educator, an academic at heart, but also has a spirit of openness and playfulness. She lives in the Bay Area in California, enjoys reading Marvel movies and daydreaming of Black futures. It is my heartfelt pleasure to welcome you to In Transit, Dr. Menzies. Thank you. I'm honored to be here and excited for this conversation. Yeah, me too. Thank you. So let's dive right in. You, you have this background in education. You were doing it for years in urban schools, and I'm guessing that you loved it. But something happened where you decided to make a big move of your own, and your life and your work also went in transit. Um, from what I've learned about your background, you branched out and went to find solutions to systemic racism elsewhere. Can you tell us a little bit more about that journey and what inspired you to make the move? Yeah, so in when I was a teacher, I was what was considered a culturally responsive teacher, but I didn't know the term. I just knew I cared about my kids and I had high expectations for them. And two things happened. One, I remember teaching about enslavement and like the Black stories that we often learn based, uh, centered in the United States. And one of my students said, why are we talking about Black folks all the time? And this was a Black student. And mm -hmm. I was like, what? What do you mean? Um, but after doing some digging, I realized he was tired of hearing about like the traumatic narratives. Mm -hmm. He knew nothing else about Black mm -hmm. history. Um, mm -hmm. And I realized that's all I'm teaching them. And that's all they're getting exposed to outside of here. So I taught a lesson on um, rebellions of enslaved peoples in the United States and outside of the United States. And like my kids loved it. And I was also observed that day. So I got written up because it was not a high priority standard, meaning it was unlikely to show up on a standardized test. 
Mm. So I was teaching to, one, illuminate the full stories of Black history, but Mm -hmm. also I noticed my students were carrying the weight of that trauma, and I didn't want that to be what they took away from that experience. So that was one thing. And then another, I lost um, one student in particular who like gave me a lot of challenges at the beginning of the year, but by the middle of the first semester, she was like my main, <laughs> my main go-to <laughs> mm-hmm. in the classroom for c- getting her peers on track. And she was murdered in a drive-by shooting mm-hmm. two weeks after their eighth grade graduation. Oh. So those two stories, there's more, but like that is what propelled me out of the classroom because Mm -hmm. initially I thought nobody's studying these larger Mm -hmm. systemic factors that impact my students' lives. Like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) And went to a doctoral program, like I'm going to study all these systems. And then through Mm -hmm. there, it was, I was kind of like a ship without a rudder. Like, where do I go now? Um, Mm -hmm. And not just where do I go physically, (laughs) but like, Mm -hmm. what is, Mm -hmm. what am I doing? Um, Because there has to be another way. Mm-hmm. And it was through those experiences that I've always been obsessed with Maroon communities, but I kept them separate. Mm-hmm. And it was through kind of my own self-exploration of, I need something I can grasp. Yeah. So let me tap back into what has already happened and existed. And that's mm-hmm. what brought me to studying Maroon communities and how they could provide a framework for our liberation. Wow. So for those who are not familiar with the Maroon communities, can you give just a brief introduction to who they are. Uh, so Maroon mm-hmm. communities, I'm going to use the present tense because some still exist, mm-hmm. are communities of self-emancipated Africans. Mm-hmm. So folks who ran away from enslavement and created free hidden societies throughout the America. So any place enslavement existed, there were Maroon communities often nearby um, of mm-hmm. various sizes. <clears throat> some still exist today. Jamaica has several, Colombia, Suriname, and they created their own cultures because uh, they were a melting pot of different African mm-hmm. societies and cultures mm-hmm. and some folks who had been born on in what we consider the Americas today. And so they have their own free communities. Hmm. Fascinating. And so what was it that made you say, like, I'm curious about the day. I'm, I'm, I'm expecting it was like an epiphany or something where you're like, oh, wait a minute. These are these stories. These are those powerful cultural communities that exist. What if we brought that story and those strategies into new contexts? Mm-hmm. It was, you know, it was a day. Mm. <laughs> like said, it was always percolating in the back of my mind. And I started to seek out knowledge. Um, and there's these frameworks called Black Liberatory Pedagogy. And again, being an educator, I love frameworks. (laughs) And I realized a lot of the ways we talk about liberation um, can make it feel unattainable. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how can I merge? Because I did a lot of DEI work in organizations. Mm -hmm. And I focused on practical, like pragmatic. This is what we can actually change today to lead to this bigger thing. But I was like, how can we do that for these bigger systems? Mm-hmm. Um, and in our day-to-day lives. And as I was like researching Black liberatory pedagogy, I was like, wait, there's a way I can merge maroonage as a framework and mm-hmm. as an act- series of active steps with Black liberatory pedagogy. And so um, created this framework. And this was right 
This was a year before everything shut down. <clears throat> so created this framework, shared it with a friend. She was like, I love it, but nobody knows who Maroon communities are. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, you're right. I'm creating this whole fancy thing. And folks don't even know why. But then I tabled it for a little bit. I was in mm-hmm. a crazy job that ended up in the hospital mm. and was still kind of that was like sitting off to the side. And again, felt like rudderless again. Like what, what do I do? Who am I? Mm-hmm. And when everything shut down, <clears throat> I moved from Dallas to the Bay area. I realized a lot of things cause I moved closer to family, but the gist mm-hmm. is how separated mm-hmm. we had been becoming prior to the pandemic. Yes, we, yes. I used to grow up in a large neighborhood where we're all playing around together. Mm-hmm. Lots of play cousins who I thought mm-hmm. were my real family until I mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> learned in like mm-hmm. middle school. Oh, we're not actually blood related. We mm-hmm. were losing that even mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic, but the pandemic like exacerbated that and made us mm-hmm. little tiny family units. Mm-hmm. I saw what my friends with children were going through, trying to work remotely and educate young children remotely. And we had the uprisings with George Floyd and it was very much... How can I embody these practices? Mm-hmm. And I can't embody these practices by myself. It right. needs to be done within a community. Right. And that's where the product came from, is bringing us back together, getting back to, what did you say, the, the old solutions to new mm-hmm. problems? Mm-hmm. The solutions are founded in community. Yep. So how can we build intentional community? Um, and that's oh. what undergirds this exploration guide I've created. I just have chills because there's so much to unpack there, right? Like I um <laughs> I remember being in corporate back in two thousand, I think eight, two thousand something around there. And we were talking about megatrends. And one of the megatrends is individualization. Right. And that is the opposite of collectivism mm. or of community. And I'm thinking about in the U.S. specifically, it's already an individualistic culture. And then it's going even more individualized. And I've even, you know, in the research I've seen also in collectivistic countries, there is that move to individualization, which is then tearing at the fabric of intergenerational communities or um, communities of... uh, just by ge- geography, right? Like the neighborhood. If, if there's that kid riding their bike too fast, you know, one of the other people down the street will say, slow down, right? Because you're, you watch over mm-hmm. each other and that all of that is going away. Um, the other thing that I'm thinking about is I always talk about resilience and we say resilience is not like who can take on the most on their shoulders. It's um, who can be in community in the way that is the smartest so they can take care of themselves and still take care of others, right? We have so many twisted ideas mm-hmm. because of that. We've gone so far away. Um, so now you have this organization called Emancipated with a capital ED. Um, and you talk about you, the aim is to support transformation of how we see ourselves as people um, in, I, I'm guessing the black and brown communities is where the we is coming from and the way that you engage with each other mm-hmm. is kin. So tell me more about emancipated and why that's um, important to you. Mm-hmm. Well, 
something I mentioned when I was teaching about like the consistent trauma narratives around the Black experience. And this doesn't mean we ignore that history. I mean, it is a, a part of how we've been shaped. And I'm speaking mm-hmm. we um, specifically as a Black American and Guyanese American. <clears throat> but there's more to that story. And how can we use these stories, one, to bring us back together as larger communities, but also to provide a guide for like, how do we liberate ourselves within these systems? And mm-hmm. sounds like very lofty goals, but the core of what this curriculum does is get us back to communal storytelling mm-hmm. and learning our family history, learning our local history of resistance mm-hmm. and community building and rebellion. So each part, there's eight activities Mm-hmm. And each activity has like a self-reflection component. Then there's a family connection c- component. But then there's also a component of like get out there in your neighborhood <laughs> and mm-hmm. meet people Perfect. and do things. And also to invite people in to your space when you're doing these activities. Mm. Folks you haven't talked to in a while. And right. like, and it's adapted for different age levels. So look, you have children, correct? Yeah, 10 and 14. 10 and 14. So mm-hmm. This is perfect for them as far as being able to understand mm-hmm. the the words mm-hmm. in the curriculum. But we do have adaptations for folks who have younger kids. So mm-hmm. instead of asking, like, what what does this mural mean to you? You might ask a younger child, like, how does this feel? Mm-hmm. How do you feel mm-hmm. when you look at this image? Or mm-hmm. what colors do you see to kind of get them to reflect and talk about what they're experiencing? Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. So I'm curious, it sounds like it's really expanding the lens at how you see yourself, how you see community, where how you find your power and how you find connection yes. with your family, with your community. That's powerful, but through a quite, I want to say simple, but simple isn't easy. <laughs> simple in terms of mm-hmm, digesting. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me, I want to know about impact. How has this impacted you? How has this impacted the people that have gone through this process? Personally, I saw someone say, I wish I could cite them, but because I don't know who the originator was, that entrepreneurship is a spiritual journey. Yes. And that has very much been my experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, like of pushing through fear. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize in many ways I considered myself pretty unconventional and fearless. But when it came mm-hmm. to this, mm-hmm. all these things started bubbling to the surface. And mm-hmm. so the transformation for me has been one of helping me like reigniting hope, mm-hmm. like to see that these communities not only existed, but still mm-hmm. exist. And they fought mm-hmm. wars against colonial plantation Mm -hmm. society and have systems where gender dynamics are different Mm. and women are nurtured and cared for in a way that we don't often see in our society. It just was a reminder that the way things are, aren't the Mm -hmm. way things have to be. And like, and I need that. (laughs) When I was uh, eight, Mm -hmm. I learned out, Mm -hmm. learned what pessimism was because Mm -hmm. my dad told me I was a pessimist. And I was like, what does Mm. that mean? Mm. He was like, you know, gave me the half glass, half glass, half full, half yep. empty analogy. And I was like, huh, interesting. He's right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. like, what is mm-hmm. someone like me? How can I keep reigniting that hope? And it for me, it is through community and through when I hear these stories 
of not just Maroons, but my own family history. I feel empowered and like want to keep pushing forward. Right. I think it is important. Um, when I think about family history, um, my family origin is around they're like l- the classical pioneers, you know, left Norway, went on the boat, got on the covered wagons, went across the land. And if I think about um, some of my work that I've had to do on uh, perfectionism and just so committed to my work, I'm like, of course, like, because the women who came before me basically lived in the tundra <laughs> and we're trying to survive. Like there was, there's so this hardness that got translated um, through um, that I inherited. It helped, it helped me be more gentle to myself to realize, oh, that's why that is there, right? And be able to mm-hmm. be grateful for that, but also say it's it's safe now. You can drop your, <laughs> you can you can relax a little. There's no more, you know, tundra. You don't have to survive in the winters, right? Um, <laughs> you can be more gentle and loving um, when you have more context for things. Um, so, do you have stories from people who have gone through your process and what impact it's had on them? Yes, I do. And I've, it's exceeded my expectations. That's like, like I said, there's a lot of fear in this. Um, it felt divinely inspired and I was energized as I created. And then once it's out there, I'm like, oh my God, everybody's going to hate it. <laughs> but it has been the opposite experience. <laughs> mm. One person um, messaged me and said they wish, because I call the curriculum an exploration guide. So it comes mm-hmm. with all these different activities <clears throat> And then there's the hidden history cards that are the stories of the Maroons. Mm. And someone replied back to me, like, I wish we had these type of guides for our whole lives. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how to navigate life in general. <gasps> right. Because it was so impactful for their family mm-hmm. um, and how enthusiastic their kids were. Because I don't, I didn't position this as a parent teaching a child something. It's mm-hmm. we're learning together. Mm. And so children are on equal, an equal plane uh, as their parents. Mm-hmm. And just depending on the age, the parent is just mm-hmm. more of a facilitator of, of bringing stuff out. Um, and so seeing their kids in a different light, because there's a lot of like value centered activities, so reflections and how do you see yourself? How do you see mm-hmm. yourself within this family? So I'm getting a lot of feedback about parents learning a lot about their kids mm. And in many ways, raising their expectations mm-hmm. for their kids, Beautiful. assuming because they're at a certain age that the depth of feeling and reflection isn't there. And that's right. being revealed through these activities. Wow. That, what a gift. So that's been wonderful for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what a gift, right? It's, way, it's not cognitive, right? It's not just cognitive and knowing. It's about the connection that's being created. And I'm guessing... It's also embodied for the children who are like, hey, this is cool. This is our family history. This is what I'm proud of. This is what has worked in the past, like being able to hold that in their body. And that's I see that now when you tell the first story of that wise student in your class who said, hey, this is heavy. (laughs) Are you going to make me carry all of this? Like, Mm -hmm. isn't there something to balance this that is as true? and as important to know. Um, that's beautiful. It feels like it's come full circle for you. It has. It very much has. And it's, in many ways, I was creating 
what I hope to experience and what I do experience like in Mm -hmm. my communities. And I don't have children. So I call, Mm -hmm. I don't use parents in the Mm -hmm. text. I use the term caregiver Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we don't, if we get back to the communalness, it's not just going to be parents or people who birth children who are raising kids. And it shouldn't just be, you know, my mom, my mom friends go through a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Right. That's right. So tell me more about this idea of um, fictive kinship. I know that's something that is um, an important concept. Will you share more about that and how that is connected to this bigger conversation about community and families? Yes. So fictive kinship, my learning of the term comes from like African um, research, Africology. Mm -hmm. It's, we identify kin as like blood relations. Fictive kinship is people who are like family, but aren't our blood. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So fictive kinship networks, the way I operationalize it is people who are our blood and also those folks who are family by choice Mm -hmm. or family by locality, Mm -hmm. um, those networks. And so Mm -hmm. in the guides, I prompt folks to bring those folks into the space and do these activities together. Um, because ultimately, when we look at maroon societies, they're also organized into fictive kinship clans. And mm. depending on the different maroon culture, they're organized different ways. So in mm-hmm. Palenque, for example, they have these things called cuadradas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hope I'm mm-hmm. pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. It's like age-based Mm. little clans of people mm. who aren't related, but they're the mm. same age group and have the same interests. So there's mm. people who are musicians. There's mm. people as they get older who handle the funeral rites of the community. They don't have police. They mm. do have a group of people who moderate conflict and that's mm. their role. Their, mm-hmm. fic- their fictive kinship clans role within the community. Yeah. So like using that foundation And we do this, right? We just don't Mm -hmm. think about it intentionally and -hmm. just being more intentional about these communities that we're cultivating and Mm -hmm. curating. Well, and that word intention is kind of a theme that I'm seeing throughout all of what you do is how do we intentionally expand the conversation? How do we intentionally um, connect with our family, intentionally explore our culture like there's so much intentionality in what you do and it it just feels like so urgent right now when we're literally on autopilot scrolling through (laughs) social media you know the mindlessness (laughs) the mindlessness right Mm -hmm. um it's so interesting i don't know what there's like something inside me i want to share and i'm not sure how it will come out i was just reading um a newsletter from someone I respect and their work I respect. And they talked about the practice of mindfulness and meditation. And, and I think this is like another way of being mindful. It's not this, Mm -hmm. you know, quiet silence. It's another way of being mindful. It's an embodied way. It's a connected way. And that's what it seems like, you know, the bigger picture your work is doing. Mm -hmm. I'm writing this down. I'm like, yes. 
Yeah, that's how it, I mean, that's what it looks like you're doing from the outside. Um, I love that. You know, this topic is is wide and it's deep. Um, and I also want to save time to talk about you and your life. Um, is there something important that you think your listeners need to understand about your work, um, either as an educator, as a parent, or as an individual um, that we haven't yet touched on? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say the core, you hit the nail on the head when I was like, that's mm-hmm. why I'm writing. Let me write this down. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this embodied mindfulness mm-hmm. and the core of who I am as a human is integrity. Mm-hmm. And what I've attempted to do with this product and with my business is operate in integrity, like integrity mm-hmm. first, <laughs> mm-hmm. people first. Um and that has its, in this world, it has its pluses and minuses. For those who watched Game of Thrones, and I hate how it ended, but um, I'm like Ned Stark. <laughs> you know? Okay. <laughs> like, you know, I'm going to operate with um, candor and care. This product was created with candor and care and mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And that's the core of what I want folks to take away from this experience, um, what I hope folks can build mm-hmm. with their communities. And, you know, the bigger picture, like this is just one thing. I My big picture is to, I would love to see local communities do these mm-hmm. activities together. And mm-hmm. how do we create physical sites mm-hmm. of yes. joy and resistance where we are? Yes, yes. That's the big picture. <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Well, I'll make sure um, that when the listeners are are catching up with this, that they'll be able to have links to find out where they can learn more. I'll make sure we put that in the show notes because I think that's the next step, right? Like now that mm-hmm. this is out there, how do you, how do they take it into their lives, into their communities, and and have it be not abstract, but as we were saying, embodied. Um, So do you mind if we turn a little attention to you right now? I think there's so much you've already been through, right? I'm I'm imagining this is a full cycle of transformation for you. Um, And there's, as you said, Mm -hmm. entrepreneurship is a great way to um, begin another layer of transformation. I'd love to hear more from you. Um, You know, ATT, Ambitious Transformation in Transition. I always talk about transition first, right? What is the soup you're swimming in? a global transition, family transition. What is your soup of transition right now that you're feeling? There's quite a bit. I feel like everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this, my grandmother is 95, my mm. paternal grandmother, and she's in the process of transitioning. And I use mm-hmm. that word when I brought it up to someone else, they were like, wait, she's transitioning at 95. I'm like, no, 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 this is not a, a gender affirming transition. <laughs> she's, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. she's um, passing away. And I went to visit her and spend some time with her. And it's really helping, help is the wrong word. I'm really reframing mm-hmm. what my relationship to family mm. um, and my relationship to mortality. Um, you know, when you operate like life is short and long at the same time. Mm-hmm. So what are you mm-hmm. going to do with it? Yeah. 
right? You, I've heard those things all my life, but I'm feeling it for the first time of like, what am I going to do yeah. with yep. this life I've been given? Mm-hmm. Um, and who do I want to be in relation to other people? Because I was, I travel a lot. I've lived, mm-hmm. I left California for a decade mm-hmm. um, and I'm not the best at keeping in contact with people. Mm-hmm. And I can't keep in contact with 1500 folks, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, you've been right, friend over time, right, but how can I right. be like intentional with sustaining deep relationships? Um, right. It's definitely a transit I'm experiencing right now. Yeah. <clears throat> and then also with this entrepreneurship journey, expanding what I think is possible. Mm-hmm. I think just learning about going through this process of studying maroons and the entrepreneur piece underneath mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. it's like I can I really can create the life that I want yeah. in community and then what what do I want um yes. I am a critical race theorist and as an educator it's very it was easy for me to identify what I don't want to exist right, right. I'm now in a space where I'm identifying what do well, well then what if I don't want this right what does the opposite look like right and right. then who do I need to be for that to actually happen? Mm-hmm. So, so it's lots of this, uh, this talk came right at the right time. Cause I've been yep. thinking a lot about mm-hmm. these things. Yeah. And it's so, I mean, this is where it's hard to tease out when I talk about transformation, it's internal led, external led or performance led, or maybe all three at the same time, right? And external led would be like, oh, the pandemic happened. Mm-hmm. I lost my job. And internal would be, I woke up one day and I felt vastly different or performance led is you have this ambitious goal. And sometimes it is murky to decide, you know, what is this from the outside or is this coming from the inside? Um, when you were talking, mm-hmm. I, I actually had my, I had tears well up in my eyes because I feel like we're at such a pivot point right now of at least where I stand with my views. We, we're getting a lot clearer on what we don't want, even though it's, come, it's a long time coming, <laughs> um, on many layers of identity mm-hmm. and power, right, in history. Um, and then the question is, like you said, what's on the other side? And what is it going to ask of me so that I can create that, right? Because there's also security in known mm-hmm. systems, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. And and there's insecurity when you don't know what you're going toward, right? And maybe it's different for me because I hold so many dominant identities. I'm actually letting go of power, <laughs> and you know what I mean. So it's there's that <laughs> thing, um, and so it's this question of what are we going toward? And I have this image in my hands where I'm not doing it on my own. I'm holding hands because I'm not doing it alone. Mm-hmm. And that is what I think is so beautiful about what we're at, where we're at right now collectively is we have, we have a, cho- not a choice. We have enough momentum now um, to make those leaps. And I think they are a million individual leaps. It's you with your business and those conversations right? It's me with my business and my conversations. It's that person with their, their son and that conversation, right? It's all of those millions of small steps is what I think will take that leap. I actually kind of hope it's that way and not like this massive 
explosion of who knows what, which will force it. You know, I hope we have the opportunity to exercise agency and take our steps to make that movement rather than it being some catastrophic shift that makes it undeniable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's just what I'm processing while I heard you. I, there's so much hope in there. There is so much hope. So what does ambitious look like for you right now? If you know the way I define it, it has to be outside of scope or scale from the external. So for me, ambitious this summer mm-hmm. was doing less. That's ambitious for me, right? For someone else, it might be mm-hmm. uh, being bolder. Another, it might be quieter, right? So what about for you? What does ambitious look like for you right now? I listened to the podcast about what is ambition. So I was like jotting notes, you know, and initially <laughs> I wrote down like, my goal is to write a weekly newsletter, just be consistent in mm-hmm. building a relationship with my audience. But I was like, you know what? That's actually not it. What is it for me is saying what's on my mind in a way that adds value to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, that's ambitious to me. Because I had a brand and I didn't like that term, but that's what my mm-hmm. one of my sorority sisters say. She was like, Crystal, you have a brand. Like people listen to what you say mm-hmm. and they value what you say. And over time I've receded into myself. This is on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, like just seeing some of the negativity, people feeling entitled. Yeah. To my opinion, you know, my right, DMs, it right. was always a man <laughs> in my DMs. What's your opinion and thoughts on this? You know, You're like, here's my so PayPal account. Kind of <laughs> here's my PayPal account. Exactly. I will meet you on a phone for a consult. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I'd answer their question and then mm. they debate me. And I'm like, I told mm. you my opinion. And this is, mm-hmm. you know, and so. And seeing how other people were treated who were like very public. I was Mm -hmm. like, you know what? I don't think I want this. Um, But as I'm communicating these stories and what I'm doing, like I can't live in that fear of the worst case scenario. So for me, ambitious is that putting myself out there um, consistently and doing it in a way, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to piggyback off of what's hot at the time. Like that's not empowering to me. That doesn't give me energy, but Mm -hmm. I do know I can often add nuance that isn't there and I will withhold that nuance. And Mm. so what's ambitious to me is like putting that out there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. (laughs) I see your integrity um, shine through in that example for sure. Um, That's beautiful. Oh, I know we could go on forever, um, but can you help the audience understand what is next for you? Um, if they want to learn more about you and what you're working on, uh, what should they know? Okay. So you can follow along with the business and the product at emancipatededucation.com. Um, that's where you can purchase, also learn more about our mission. And I do have a blog, if you click newsletter, mm-hmm. that talks about what's gone into the development of this product, like sharing more of those thoughts that I've been afraid to share. Mm. Uh, there's also an Instagram page, emancipate underscore ed. Mm-hmm. And as far as like what's next for me is really thinking about, I know what kind of business owner I want to be. I know what kind of mm-hmm. business I want to run. 
And like you said, who do I need to be? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm already that person. So it's mm-hmm. what do I need to do mm-hmm. to actually do to run a business mm-hmm. that way? Because right. it's very easy to to just plug in to the systems that already exist. But what I don't right. want to do is to create something that continues to harm the environment. Um, right. So I'm looking at researching sustainable business practices, like environmentally mm-hmm. sustainable. Mm-hmm. And then what does that look like in product creation? Oh, wonderful. That's next for me. And then finding wonderful. community of mm-hmm. people who are already doing it. Yeah, it's gorgeous. I'm also hearing your, the people that you're speaking to are educators, um, families, right, and individuals who are interested in sort of going through that transformation process um, around their how they see themselves and the way they engage with each other um, as kin, you said. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Oh, I love, I love to see what you're doing. I mean, there's so much I'm taking away from our conversation today. And it feels like just the beginning, some of the things that were bubbling up for me, it feels like they're not quite fully articulated yet. There's something much deeper and bigger about what you're doing that I think um, is going to have a beautiful ripple effect. So thank you for showing up, even though you're afraid. We know how that, I know that as an entrepreneur, I'm celebrating my ninth (laughs) business year and I know that journey is hard. (laughs) It is hard, right? (laughs) And I just hold for you. I hold for you. I I talk about this on my podcast, the end game, whatever end game you have for you as that, you know, business owner with integrity and impact and all of that. I hold that for you because it will be possible for you you know, in three years, four years, five years, whatever that time frame is. Um, but I, I can feel it. That's it's worth the ups and down roller coaster. <laughs> Wonderful. So thank you. And th- thank you, everyone who's been listening today. Um, you're here with In Transit with Sunday Bean. It's so wonderful to have um, Crystal here with us today. So thank you, Crystal, for being part of this. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's wonderful. And I think it's only appropriate that we end with the words of Audre Lorde. Without community, there is no liberation. 